Our scripture reading this evening will be from Revelations uh, 4, verses 8 through 11. Revelations 4, verses 8 through 11. It's on page 1030 in the Bible in the back of the pew. It's page 1030. For each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him. You are worthy our Lord and God to receive God in honor and the power for created all things and by you, your will they, will, they were created and have their being. Did you see the moon this week? On Friday night, there was a really heavy rainstorm that blew through the, the, the area here. And just on the other side of that rainstorm, just as it was finishing up, the moon was coming over the horizon. And it was big and it was orange and just beautiful. Really interesting to behold. You know, the moon's up there just about every night. And it's remarkable if you'll stop and look at it. It's remarkable the detail and the intricacies of, of that object out in space. If you, if you were to get a telescope or maybe a pair of binoculars and, and balance them on a, on a rail or something steady and just look at and magnify the moon, you'd see a lot more detail than what you can just see with the naked eye. And if you were to study it and if you were to examine the moon, you'd see really close up through a telescope. You'd see craters, you'd see all kinds of planes, different colors. It's a really amazing thing to behold. The Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 3, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. God's always there and sometimes we take him for granted, kind of like the moon. As remarkable as God is and as amazing and astounding as God is, it's very easy for us to kind of think, yes, he's there, he's part of my life without ever really magnifying him. I believe that part of a healthy relationship with God is that you and I will spend time magnifying God. We'll put a telescope on him and we'll examine what the Bible teaches about him and we'll think about his attributes. We'll think about the kind of God that he reveals himself to be. And while we can't ever know God in a complete and total sense because he's infinite in all of his ways, we can know him. We can have a relationship with him and how we need to magnify him. The book of Revelation, in those 22 chapters, there are more than a dozen worship scenes. And that often gets overlooked in reading the book because people are all concerned about the dragons and the empires and things like that. But if you read the book carefully, not only is it about Jesus Christ, he's the main character, but the book of Revelation is full of worship. And that ought to tell us something. 
That ought to be a key indicator to what this book is supposed to be all about. It's about the God that we are loyal to, the God that we worship, and how mighty and magnificent he is. The Greek word, one of the Greek words for worship, proskuneo, it means to kiss toward. It means to offer obeisance and offer homage. Proskuneo, that word is found 24 times in the book of Revelation, more than any other New Testament book. So the book of Revelation is a book of worship. It's a book that magnifies God. You want to see God in a telescope. You want to see him up close. Read Revelation because it tells you about the God that we serve. What I'd like for us to do this evening is this. Spend some time just looking at four of those many worship scenes in this book. And let's magnify the Lord together. You know, I read a statement recently that caused me to stop and think. Someone said, a rowboat is really hard to move when it's on the beach. Can't really go anywhere when you're sitting on the beach in a rowboat. But when the tide comes in, the boat is lifted and movement is an awful lot easier. And this person that was writing this compared that to the church. It said, you know, the church has a lot of work that it does and a lot of people that we're trying to reach and a lot of programs that we're trying to, trying to implement and accomplish. But we're like a rowboat on the beach a lot of the time. We're not really making much headway. But when the church is worshiping and praising God in a way that brings glory and honor to him, out of a joyful heart, out of a grateful heart, out of an awe-inspired type of heart, when that's the way the church consistently worships, it's just like the tide coming in. And all that we're striving to do in the Lord's service, by his power, by his might, all those things work so much better because of the power of the God that we serve. Let's spend some time tonight magnifying the Lord together. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11, the passage that Ross read just a moment ago. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And it's interesting that as you read through the book and you see the plot unfolding, God is worshipped for a number of reasons. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, they worship him because he created all things, and by his will they exist and were created. They worship him as the creator. And you and I, if we'll stop and think about the God that we serve, this will bless our lives as well. Read with me, Revelation 4, verse 8. Four living creatures, John is seeing a vision of the throne room of heaven. They have six wings. And the Bible says that they cry out to one another, the full of eyes around and within, and they don't rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What are they saying about God? They're in his very presence. They are seeing him and they're not taking him for granted. What is it that they notice about this being that they're worshiping? They notice he is holy, holy, holy. You're probably aware that's the only attribute of God that is repeated three times in scripture. It is important for us to know that the God that we serve is separate from sin. He's devoted to pursuing his own glory. That's what holiness is all about. When we think about the God that we worship, he's holy. 
As you look at Revelation 4, verse 8, it also says he is the Lord God Almighty. Think about what that would mean to some Christians in the first century who were struggling because they were being mistreated for being Christians. We serve the Lord God Almighty. And not only that, he was and he is and he is to come. A reference to his eternal nature. There is no point, if you could get in a time machine and go into the past, there's no point you would ever arrive at where God did not exist. If you could get in a time machine and go into the future, there's no point in the future where God will cease to exist. He was, he is, he is to come, and how that ought to put into perspective the challenges, the trials that we face in our lives. When you look down at verse 11, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they bow down before the throne, they cast their crowns before it, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, and here's why you're worthy, for you created all things. By your will, they exist and were created. When we worship the God of heaven, we are worshiping the Almighty, we are worshiping the one who is holy, we are worshiping the one who has created all things. One of the reasons why you and I can learn to love our enemies is because God created our enemies. One of the reasons why we can learn to trust God no matter what happens is because he is almighty and he is holy, 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 and he is going to work things out according to his will. You know, it's interesting the Bible doesn't ever spell out for us our future in terms of specific details. I'd like to know where I'm going to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. If the Lord wills, I live that long. I'd like to know what I'm going to be doing. But God doesn't spell those things out for us. What he does spell out for us is who he is. And if we have a God like that, we can go through any situation because we worship the God of heaven the Creator. Second, turn your Bibles to Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10 and notice this is about the Lamb. We had a lesson about this just a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to notice that the Lamb receives praise, He receives honor, He receives glory, He receives worship just like God. And notice He is worshiped as the Redeemer. Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10, they sang a new song to the Lamb saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. How often do you think about your salvation? How often do you reflect on what Jesus did for you when you became a Christian? I find in the Bible that one of the things that is frequently brought up, Paul is constantly talking about his conversion, and he's constantly talking about how he became a Christian, how he received grace and mercy. And he talked about how he, he wanted more than anything for other people to have that same experience that he had had. How often do you think about that? These people, these beings are thinking about that. They are saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and we praise you because you have redeemed us by your blood. That tells me, that indicates to me as a Christian that part of my worship needs to be focused on the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for me. Only Jesus can redeem me. 
That's what Revelation 5 verses 3 and following indicates. Nobody else is worthy to take the scroll. Nobody else has done what he has done. He's been slain even though he was innocent. And because of that, he can take the scroll. He can redeem us. He redeems us by a wondrous method. The way Jesus redeems us, it's by his blood. It's by his power that he redeems us. Not only that, but there are wondrous results. When Jesus redeems us, he doesn't just save me personally from my sins, but he adds me to a group of people who are likewise redeemed. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, he's redeemed us by his blood. There's a corporate element to this. And then there's wondrous praise that takes place in verses 11 through 14 of Revelation chapter 5. When you and I think about our God and when we're looking for reasons to praise him, Revelation 4 and 5 give us a litany of reasons why we ought to give honor and praise to the God that we serve. He is the creator. He is almighty. He is our redeemer. He saved us. We need to think about that more often. Turn your Bibles, if you would, now to Revelation chapter 7. Look at verses 9 through 11. These are not all the worship scenes in Revelation, but these four will give us just a taste of what this book has to offer. And just like looking through a telescope at the moon would yield some details that we might otherwise take for granted, looking through a telescope at who God is will help us to contemplate him more and appreciate him in a more holy way. He is the deliverer. He is our shepherd in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 11. John says this, After these things I looked, Revelation 7, 9, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes, and they had palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, they said, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now you might read that on first glance and say, well, that sounds an awful lot like what we read in chapter 5 and a little bit like what we read in chapter 4. And isn't this just getting repetitive? No, it's not getting repetitive because these people are worshiping for a different reason than the two we've already looked at. Why are they worshiping? I'll tell you why they're worshiping. Because in verse 14, when they identify this crowd, this assembly, this multitude, who are these people that are worshiping God? The Bible says, these are those who have come out of great tribulation. So these are the multitudes that have been persecuted and have suffered and now they stand before the throne and they praise God. They worship him because he is their deliverer. And not only that, it says in Revelation chapter 7, it says in, uh, in verse 17, the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. These people are worshiping because God has brought them through their trials. We just sang a song. I appreciated Michael leading that. I didn't ask him to. Amazing grace. One of the verses in that song, "'Twas grace that brought me through this far, and grace will lead me home." 
when we think about the trials that we face and we think about the God that we trust and how he delivers and how he redeems and how he shepherds and guides us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it ought to cause us to bow our knees and praise to such a God. He's our deliverer. He's our shepherd. And that's why the beings of heaven say that to God belong blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. I ask you, do you routinely put those things in his hands? Do you give those things to God? Honor and thanksgiving and blessing and power and glory and do you give those things to God? It's about worship. It's about honoring him. He is our redeemer. He is our deliverer. He is our shepherd. Last one this evening. Open to Revelation 19, look at verses one through three. This is unique, different from the other worship scenes that we've looked at. Revelation 19, verses one through three. There's something to glean from each one of the scenes in Revelation. In chapter 19, verses one through three, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Four, true and righteous are his judgments, it says, verse two, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. What's going on here? There is an entity, a nation that has been persecuting the church and prophetically God foretells its doom and its destruction. And there's something that's going on here that we need to kind of stop and consider for a moment. I used kind of an infographic to, to communicate this as best I could. As human beings, when th something's unfair, when something's not right, when something's unjust, it makes us really angry. And, and as human beings, we want justice. We want somebody to fix this. We want somebody to get as angry as I am and, and make things right. That's just a natural human response to injustice. And so there's a human desire for justice. And certainly the saints in the first century were feeling that because they had no recourse. They couldn't go to the election booth and, and vote out the leaders of Rome. They couldn't do that. They just had to take it. And they just had to suffer. And they were wondering, Who's going to make this right? And as you read the book of Revelation and other books of the Bible, in, in, uh, by, by the way, you'll notice this, that our human desire for justice is imperfect. We want things to be made right, but we're not really sure because we don't know all the facts, how to sort everything out. We're not sure how to fix everything. And so the Bible indicates that in his holiness and in his wisdom and in his justice, that God also wants what we want. God desires justice, but he has perfect knowledge. He can see right into your heart and he can see right into everybody's heart. And he knows and has perfect recall of every detail. So because God desires justice, we can praise him. But not only that, God will achieve justice. That's what Revelation 18, 17 and 18 have to do with. This great harlot called Babylon that's been drunk with the blood of the saints, she is finally judged by God in his way, in his time, and he knows exactly how to do that. And when God judges, that leads to worship. That's what Revelation 19 verses one through three 
is communicating. There is divine joy, there is human joy, because God in his perfection, in all of his ways, has done what needed to happen, what needed to be done. This entity, this harlot that was drunk with the blood of the saints, she has received her just reward. And God does justice so much better than you and I do. We ought to worship him because of that. When you stop and think about the ways in which God is worshiped and the, the things that are said about him throughout this book, it's astounding. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I challenge you with this lesson to read Revelation from that perspective. Look at who is worshiping him, look at what they're saying, and then look in the context and ask the question, why are they worshiping him? And then ask yourself the question, why do I worship God? Do I worship him because I think he's a wonderful, magnificent creator? Because I think that he's a tremendous redeemer? Do I worship him because he's my shepherd and my deliverer? Do I worship him because he's the judge of all the earth and he will always do what's right? When God's people worship in a way that honors him, everything else that we do falls into place. May all of us be a worshiping people honoring and praising the God that we serve. If we can help you obey the gospel this evening, if you need to respond, you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins, or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, we'd love for you to take advantage of that opportunity. Just come down the aisle and make your need known while together we stand and while we sing.